0: I was talking to Joshua Holman today, and um, he was asking he said, are you going to preach today? I said, yeah, I'm going to preach the the second service, and he said, all right, here's something important. Don't preach long like my dad does. So I'll do my best, Joshua, for your sake, and maybe we'll get out on a decent time today. If you want to turn to Philippians 2, that's where we're going to focus the majority of our time this morning. This year, we're going to focus a lot of time, and you're going to hear a lot of talk in this building about the church as one unit, as one family, the idea of the church Growing together as we've made our theme. Striving together, side by side, in the work of the Gospel. And we'll hit that from a lot of angles in 2024. Hopefully we'll talk about growing together in unity, and growing together in works, and growing together in love, and all of these great things. But I want to start today talking about the why. Why are we growing together? Why is it important to grow together at all? Why is it worth talking about so much? And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to step back, and as we look at, not Philippians 2, like my screen says, but Philippians 1, like we're actually going to be in today, we'll see, Paul's going to tell us the importance of the church unit. Why we have the church at all. How important our work together is. And what we're going to see him say is not only is the church helpful, not only is a church that's functioning a good thing, but a church that's functioning is necessary for our own growth we're going to see this sort of feedback loop that Paul Paul's going to give us. is When we're all working as individual Christians, but we're working together, we all as individual Christians will be stronger as the church gets stronger. And that's really the message of Philippians 1 that we're going to cover today. As we get into the passage, we're going to start in verse 12, but in the first 11 verses of this chapter and of the book, Paul starts this letter with some greetings and then a prayer for the church in Philippi. And in that section, Paul thanks God for the church, specifically for the fact that they have been fellow workers in the Gospel alongside him. That even though they've faced the risk of persecution and the risk of shame like Paul has and does they've doubled down on their commitment to Christ, their commitment to serving, their commitment to spreading the Gospel, and their commitment to Paul and his work. And the main focus of that prayer really comes down to chapter 1, verse 9, where he says, and I pray this, that your love may abound even more and more in knowledge, and more in every kind of insight. And this growth in love and knowledge and wisdom is really what Paul's going to focus on in our section today throughout the rest of this chapter. This is the base for what he's going to say next. We're going to see him talk about a few examples of people who are serving in the Gospel, and a few examples of people who are not serving in the Gospel But the focus is going to be on, as we run through all of this, this idea of what does it take, what does it look like, how important is it for us to grow in knowledge and love and spiritual wisdom together as a family. If you are in Philippians 1 with me, I'm going to start in verse 12 and we're going to read through verse 30. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my situation has actually turned out to advance the gospel. The whole imperial guard and everyone else knows that I am in prison for the sake of Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters, having confidence in the Lord because of my imprisonment, now more than ever dare to speak the word fearlessly. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ from envy and rivalry, But others from goodwill, the latter do so from love because they know that I am placed here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely because they think that they can cause trouble for me in my imprisonment. What is the result? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is being proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My confident hope is that I will in no way be ashamed, but that with complete boldness, even now as always... Christ will be exalted in my body, whether I live or die. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Now, if I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean productive work for me. Yet, I don't know which I prefer. I feel torn between the two because I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but is more vital for your sake that I remain in the body." And since I am sure of this I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for the sake of your progress and joy in the faith so that you can be proud so, so that what you can be proud of may increase because of me in Christ Jesus when I come back to you only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ whether I come and see you or whether I remain absent, uh, absent, I should hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, by contending side by side for the faith of the gospel. And by not being intimidated in any way by your opponents, for this is a sign of their destruction, but of your salvation. A sign which is from God, for it has been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for Him, since you are encountering the same conflict that you saw me face, and now here that I am facing. So here we see Paul give this great message of unity in the Spirit of Christ. A family, a church family. And we're going to see, like I said, we're going to see examples and we're going to see what that looks like today. And you're going to think, as you read along, I don't know that we look like that. I don't know that we've got that nailed down. And I'm going to tell you, we don't. There are parts of this that I think Fairview excels at and there's parts of this that maybe we need some work on And that's what we really want to focus on, not just today, but all year and hopefully even further on as we go, is the fact that we will all be stronger when we have this mindset that Paul talks about today in Philippians 1. The first thing I want to do is really look closer at these bad examples that Paul gives. Because that's what he starts with. He starts about talking from situation, but talking about these bad examples of people that look like from the outside, they're doing all the right things, but their heart is not in the right place. So we're going to look at verses 12 through 18 again. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my situation has actually turned out to advance the gospel. The whole imperial guard and everyone else knows that I'm imprisoned for the sake of Christ, and most of the brothers and sisters, having confidence in the Lord because of my imprisonment, now more than ever dare to speak the word fearlessly. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and from rivalry. And just to give you a little preview, it's bad. It's really bad. Paul is in prison for the sake of preaching the gospel of Jesus. And not only is he in prison, but as we'll see further on in the section, he's facing the prospect of death for preaching the gospel. And if that's not bad enough, it gets worse, because what Paul goes on to talk about is how there are some seeing Paul in prison they see an opportunity. An opportunity to preach the gospel not for the sake of loving God, but for the sake of tearing down Paul and competing with him. Using his situation of being stuck in prison as a, to poke fun at him and say, well, obviously he wasn't a true messenger of God, but I am and you can trust what I have to say. So Paul has to sit in prison and watch these people down-talk him, down-talk his work, and he's helpless in that. And as it builds and Paul describes these people talking about them preaching in envy and pride and selfishness, you might really expect him to sort of lay into these guys, like Paul's going to really tell it how it is. He's going to talk about how we should be rooting against these guys and how they're the worst. He doesn't do that. Now, he doesn't excuse their pride. He says they're doing it for the wrong reasons. But notice what he chooses to focus on instead. He focuses on that whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. Like I said, Paul is not excusing these men. Paul tells it exactly how it is. They're not good people. They are selfish, they are prideful, they are envious, they are bitter. And yet, even through flawed people such as that, the gospel is being proclaimed. And for Paul, that's a win. For Paul, the fact that people are hearing Jesus, no matter the flawed source they're hearing it from, is a good thing. The perspective of Paul has is whatever advances the gospel, that is what is good, and that is what we should rejoice in. Paul is suffering by the hands of these men. These men are opponents of his. These men are making his life hard. And yet, Paul in a way supports their work. Not because they deserve it, but because the gospel's being proclaimed into Paul, that's all that matters. He says, I praise God. Even though these men aren't living faithfully, they are still spreading Christ. And that is my main objective. So Paul first gives us a look at the gospel through a negative example. That even through flawed people and even through bad people, the gospel can still win. The gospel still spreads. The gospel is still something to be rejoiced in. So that's what striving together doesn't look like. Even when we're not striving together, the gospel is still going to get proclaimed. The gospel is still going to win. But Paul goes from there to talk about what it looks like to take part in growing together in that life of the gospel. And that's what he starts in in verse 19. He says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed at all ashamed, but that with full courage now and as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. because of my coming to you again. So here Paul contrasts the negative examples of these opponents, the selfish preachers of the gospel. He contrasts that with two good examples. First, the Philippian church. Just like he talked about in the first 11 verses in that prayer that we mentioned earlier, Paul uses them again as an example of striving together. Earlier, Paul talked about them being examples for the Gospel in love and in boldness. And notice how Paul says they're doing that. They're praying for Paul. They're praying for his work. They're praying for his deliverance from persecution. They're showing care to him despite his troubles. And that is, in a way, remarkable. Because, again, don't forget Paul's situation. He is an enemy of the state. He's not exactly someone that you would want to put on a resume as a reference right now. Paul isn't someone that you would want to advertise that you were connected to. He's an enemy of the Romans. He's an enemy of the Jews. And yet, the Philippians say, that's our guy. Because they know that his work in the gospel is way more important than anything that the world says about him. So the first example that Paul gives about this love, this growing together, is the Philippian church on how they are still working with Paul, praying for him, serving him, even in his state. But the second example that he goes into more in depth is he says, don't worry guys, I'm still working too. In fact, Paul shows how he is striving for the gospel, even in his jailed state. He says, I'm in a position where I might die for the gospel. And he affirms pretty incredibly, I'm not scared of that. If I die for the gospel, that's okay. But notice what his focus is. Because he says, I don't really know what I want to have happen. Either I'm going to die for Christ, or I'm going to live for you guys. I'm going to live for serving the brethren. And either way, that will be a good thing. Paul says, if I die for Christ, I'm going to go to live with Him. And that is an amazing thing. And if I remain here, if God delivers me from this persecution then I'm going to continue working with you guys. We're going to be able to grow in joy and in faith and in love together. And he says, that might not be as good for me personally, but I know that that's what's best for you, and so I know that's what's going to happen. And I think that that perspective really is summed up through Paul's statement that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ. Paul's perspective as far as his own life is that God comes first, the church and others come second, and He comes last of all. Which is why Paul doesn't really care if he goes on to live with Christ, or if he stays here and continues to work. Because either way, God is going to be glorified because he's going to serve God whether through life or death. The focus is outward, not himself. And so Paul really gives himself as an example here. God first others second, himself last of all. To the point where he is willing to continue living and suffering and being jailed and persecuted. Paul says, I know what I have waiting for me in the next life. That will be glory and joy. That's what's best for me. And yet, I'm willing to stick around here and suffer, be lied about, be jailed. Because it's best for you guys. I'm willing to do that because I'm going to, I've made the commitment to glorify God no matter what happens, even if it's not the best thing for me personally. And so we get the picture here. Paul shows that God's work is gonna get done either way, Jesus is gonna be preached. The Gospel is going to be spread. Rest assured of that. The question is, are you going to join in that work? Because Paul's opponents, they chose selfishness, they chose envy. But the Philippians, and to a greater extent Paul himself, chose service, humility, work, and love in Christ. The gospel is spread either way. You're not going to beat God, but the question is, will you join in that work? Because one way ends with the joy of Christ, ends with glory in Him, ends with a greater faith and a greater appreciation and relationship with our God. And the other way ends with vain, empty satisfaction. So Paul is really urging the Philippians to continue to join him in the work of the Gospel and experience the joy and love of Christ as they serve others. To grow in the work for Christ. And really, the cinch of all of that are the next few verses. Verses 27 through 30, the verses where we picked our theme from this year. We're going to read those again. And here, I really want you to look as we read. Paul is going to emphasize the importance of growing in Christ together. Let's we'll start back in verse 27. "...only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or whether I remain absent, I I should hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind contending side by side for the faith of the gospel." And by not being intimidated in any way by your opponents, this is a sign of their destruction, but of your salvation, a sign which is from God. For it has been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for Him, since you are encountering the same conflict that you saw me face, and now hear that I am facing. So here's the perspective of Paul. Paul talks a lot about the idea of spiritual warfare, the good versus the evil, and how that battle's constantly going on. And while he doesn't explicitly call it that in these verses, I think that that conflict is very much at the center of what he's talking about. He says there's two paths here. There's the path of God and there's the path of God's opponents. The path of God is always going to end in joy and love and success. And the path of God's opponents is going to end in destruction. Salvation versus destruction. That's the choice. And the question is where you're going to align yourself. We talked earlier during the Lord's Supper about the idea of partaking in a manner worthy. And I really appreciate those thoughts. What it means to really devote yourself to the sacrifice of God. What it really means to devote yourself to being worthy. Not that we can ever attain that, but that we can strive for it. And notice that's really a very similar picture to what Paul picks up here. Again, in verse 27, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the Gospel of Christ. A manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's what we're all striving for, right? We all want to be completely devoted to God. We all want to live in that manner worthy. Notice how Paul says you can do that. You want to live a life worthy of the gospel. Here's how you do it. Stand firm as a church family. Stand firm together, side by side. Sometimes, you'll hear people say, yes, I believe in God. I'm a Christian. But I don't want to have anything to do with organized religion. I don't want to have anything to do with the church. Because my relationship with God is just between me and God. And to an extent, I see where that." idea comes from. I mean, it is a very true statement, that fact that I will stand on my own in the judgment day, and you will stand on your own, and nothing that the preacher says, or the elders say, or your parents say, changes your relationship with God. I get that. Christianity is based on our personal relationship with God. But I think when we simplify it down to just that, we miss what Paul talks about here. Paul shows God's plan is very clear. We need each other. We need the church. God gave us the church, and it is part of His gospel plan. Because we need to be strengthening and encouraging and serving each other. We need to bear each other's burdens, to strive together. That is the plan of God. That growing together, serving each other, is a life worthy of the gospel. Because it's a very real, tangible way to show that you care about others and not yourself. It's a different perspective than I think what we have a lot. Paul shows here is God's plan. You want to really live worthy of the gospel, stop thinking about yourself. Stop it. Think about what you can do for the others here. Think about what you can do to help someone else grow in their faith. Think about what you can do to serve someone. That's the life worthy of the gospel. And notice why. Paul says that a united church will better resist our opponents. And I don't know specifically what Paul has in mind here. It's one of those that you can read a dozen commentaries and get about a dozen answers. In context, Paul seems to be talking about those same opponents that we talked about earlier. The people that are going to use the gospel and twist it to be a selfish, prideful thing opponents of true worship. And I think that's one sense in which this is true. But as you get into chapter 2, and we'll read a few verses from there later, I think the point is also clear that we will better be able to resist temptation from our true opponent, the devil, when we are strong together. I think Paul's true idea here is that when we're struggling with temptation, whether it be the pressures from the outside of these doors, or it be the pressures that we ourselves are facing, those pressures, they won't go away, but they'll be a lot easier and a lot better to handle when we are relying on each other, when we are moving together as one unit when we are bearing each other's burdens. Paul's message is clear. To grow as an individual Christian, to face trials yourself, we have to grow as a church. To stand strong by ourselves, it's going to help to be stronger together that one of the key tenets to our individual walks is how we treat each other. You can't separate the church from your own path with God. Those things are very locked together. How we treat each other, how we serve each other, how we love each other is the way by which we show our gratitude for the sacrifice of the gospel. We talk about Jesus' ideal. Think about what he says when he says what true love is, how you show true love. It's to lay down your life for someone else. And while Jesus is very much talking about himself there, he literally will lay down his life for us. There is a principle there that very much applies to us. So let me tell you, Jesus wants you to lay down your life for the church here. Not that I think any of us will ever be called to literally die for someone else here. But if you're not willing to lay down your own personal preferences and hang-ups for the brothers, if you're not willing to lay down the little annoyances that grind your gears, how are you going to lay down your life for someone else? If I can't lay down my own opinions, if I can't lay down my own things that really keep me from serving and loving each other, I'm never going to be able to really lay down my life. Jesus calls you to lay down your life for the brothers here. He Jesus calls me to do it. And let me tell you, I'm not doing it. Because I'm very good at making excuses of, well, I would serve Stephen today, but God, you should have heard what he said to me. You wouldn't want me to deal with that. That's not a life worthy of the gospel. A life worthy of the gospel is this. Stop thinking about yourself. Stop thinking about how you can justify yourself. Stop thinking about how you can raise yourself above everyone else. And focus on serving. That's the path of Jesus. And that's how you can engage in this life worthy of the gospel. And Paul says when you do that, everything will be right in the end. You will experience a greater faith, a greater joy, a greater love for Jesus and from Jesus. But you have to put some elbow grease in first. You've got to live this life and you will experience even greater perspective and joy in the gospel. That's the message of Philippians 1. We'll wrap it up real quick. And we'll give it... I'll just let you guys have the lesson. We talked earlier. We, um, we read from 1 Kings 19. That was where the reading was today. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah's struggling, struggling to the point of being ready to die. He asks God, just take my life, I'm done. And the reason he does is because he feels alone. He feels isolated. He says, I'm serving the God, I'm serving you, God, and no one else in the whole world is. I'm alone. And God says, You're not alone. God says there are still 7,000 who are still following me. And not only that, Elijah, but I'm going to send you Elisha. And he's going to be your friend and your successor in your work. God's message to Elijah is you're not alone. Connect with other people following me and get to work. And so for us, have you ever been burnt out as a Christian? You feel like you're looking around and there are so many people here that can do work and it feels like I'm doing all of it. Maybe I feel like I'm the only one visiting or I'm the only one serving or I'm the only one working on Bible class or doing VBS or whatever it is. I'm alone here. And God's message to us is the same. You're not alone. I have given you a family. Use the family you have and get to work together. Have you ever been really down when you're struggling in temptation and you feel like you're the only one? God's message is the same to you. You're not alone. Connect with the family I've given you and get to work. We absolutely need each other. Look at what Paul says in Philippians 2 that the church is supposed to look like. I'm just going to read the first five verses. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ... If there is any comfort provided by love, any fellowship in the Spirit, any affection or mercy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being united in Spirit, and having one purpose. Don't be motivated by selfish ambition or vanity. Instead, each of you should in humility be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interest, but as the interest of others as well. You should have the same attitude towards one another that Christ Jesus had. There are times when the trials are massive. There are times when the burnout is real. There are times when temptation is going to have you down. Here's God's message. Help each other. And for those of us who are struggling right now, seek help from the people here. I guarantee you there are people who would love to help bear your burdens. There are people that would love to pray for you. There are people that would love to give advice. There are people that would just love to read the Bible together. I know that they're here. And for those of us who aren't struggling right now, look for those who are. This idea does not work when some of us are bearing each other's burdens and most of us aren't. That's not Paul's picture of the church here. Paul's picture of the church is each and one of the however many 150 of us there are, we're all forgetting ourselves and looking to serve others. That's when Paul says the church works. That's the life worthy of the gospel. That's how we grow together. Like I said at the beginning, if you're thinking in your head, that doesn't sound like where Fairview Park is right now. You're right. But it's where we want to get to. It's the ideal we're striving for. We're never going to get there. But if I forget myself and serve others, and you forget yourself and serve others, and we all start slowly working towards that, you are going to see the growth that Paul talks about. You're going to see the increase in faith. You're going to see the increase in joy. You're going to see the unity. You're going to see the love. I don't have to guarantee it because Paul already did. So that's why this is important. If you feel stagnant right now, that's okay. I ask you the same way Paul did, the same way God did to Elijah, connect to the family here and let's get to work. I'm going to say a quick prayer for our work together and then we'll offer the invitation. Father of lights, holy God, thank you for giving us this church your people, this family, that we can strive in spirit together, that we can bear each other's burdens, that we can find the encouragement in Christ and comfort in love, that we can work for you and search for you. Father, right now, we don't feel like the family that the book of Philippians calls us to be, but we are working and we are striving to get there. And we ask that you see those efforts and that you bless them that you help us to grow together as we ultimately grow toward you, so that we can increase in your love, in your faith, and in spiritual wisdom together. Help us to not be discouraged, but help us to keep working, to forget ourselves, and to serve others. All this we pray in your Son, whose spirit we imitate. Amen. As for the invitation, the family of God's people is a huge worldwide blessing. The fellowship of thousands of people across the world, all striving for that same purpose, all united in the same mind and the same spirit. It is a great blessing to know that no matter where you are in the world, you have family. But that's a blessing that only comes from a life lived in the gospel. And so, I ask you, if you're not a part of that gospel family, it's time to think about it. You can repent of your sins. You can be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. You can join God's path of blessings for you. But I think... A lot more of us need to hear this invitation. If you are a member of that family and you feel like you've been dead weight, that's okay. We've all been there. Let's get to work. And however we can help you, we want to help you. If you're struggling, we would love to talk with you. We would love to pray with you. We'd love to connect you with people that can help. Because ultimately, what the church is here to do is we're here to bear each other's burdens. We're here to strengthen and encourage and equip each other. And if we're not doing that, we're failing. We want to help you. So whatever your need, feel free to come to the front as we stand and as we sing.